Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in the book of Daniel. Daniel. This is our sixth week in the book of Daniel. And perhaps before this study of the book of Daniel, if I said to you, what is Daniel most well known for in the Bible? I would imagine if you know anything about the Bible or maybe anything at all about biblical uh, stories, you likely would have said, the lion's den, Daniel and the lion's den, right? We've spent five weeks going through this book of Daniel so far, and we haven't heard a single thing about any lions (laughs) until today, finally, chapter six of the book of Daniel. I think for a lot of people, this is our limited knowledge about who Daniel is, what he experienced. Lions, right? A lion's den. Those of you who have been journeying with us over the last uh, few weeks now know a little bit more of the context and the background and, and history of what's going on in the story of Daniel. But if you don't, or if you're just joining us for the first time, let me get you caught up one more time. Daniel, when he was a young teenager, was taken captive out of his hometown of Jerusalem and brought 700 miles away to Babylon a new empire, the Babylonian Empire, was taking over the Middle Eastern world under the direction and control of the king Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel had been taken as a captive, as a young teenager, and in the book of Daniel, the first four chapters all talk about uh, what happened under the reign of this king Nebuchadnezzar. Last week, we heard Pastor Kevin preach about Daniel chapter 5, where there was a new king, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar named Belshazzar. And during Belshazzar's time, uh, Babylon was a powerful empire still. And the capital city of Babylon was a a well-fortified city. And Belshazzar, as we heard last week, had a false sense of security and confidence about his power and his city's strength. It's the year 539 B.C. And the Babylonian Empire is weakened at this point as a new power is arising under the direction of the Medes and the Persians. Now the Medes and the Persians in 539 B.C. were surrounding the capital city of Babylon. And we heard a little bit about this last week, but Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon, he knew that they were going to try to besiege the city, and so they stored up about 20 years' worth of goods and supplies in the city of Babylon. It was well fortified. They had an ample supply of water. The Euphrates River ran right directly through the city of Babylon from north to south, and there was a large gate that surrounded the entirety of the city. So Belshazzar and most Babylonians had a false sense of security. But on one day in 539 BC, the Babylonians came, and it was time to besiege the city. And as an ancient historian named Herodotus uh, records for us, the way they did this was they dug a canal on the north side of the city of Babylon, diverting the water of the Euphrates to a nearby lake, 
And the Medes and the Persians entered the city from the north and the south, dipping underneath the sluice gate of the Euphrates River, and took the city by such force and so quickly that the city of Babylon actually fell in one night. The date is precise, actually. It was October 12th, 539 B.C. October 12th, 539 B.C. This is the end of Daniel chapter 5, in in which we also hear the very last verse of Daniel chapter 5, were these words, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed on this night, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So here come the new power, the, the new empire. Darius the Mede has control. Now, just a little bit more historical context, and then then we'll move on. But Darius the Mede, he was, that's not the name of the king of all of Persia, okay? The the Persian emperor, his name was actually Cyrus, Uh, Cyrus the Persian, or in history, sometimes known as Cyrus the Great. Scholars and different biblical uh, historians have tried to debate and figure out who Darius the Mede is. Uh, some who are very critical of the Bible actually toss out the whole book of Daniel and say, Daniel has no value, it is not historical, because they've not located anybody by the name of Darius the Mede outside of the Bible. We don't need to throw out all of Daniel. There are a couple of explanations. Let me give you two of them. One is Darius the Mede is possibly another name for Cyrus the great, Cyrus the Persian emperor. It was very common for people to have two different names or multiple names and be called different things in different parts of the empire. Just like Daniel, for example. His, his name is Daniel, but he's also called Belteshazzar. So there's, there's a lot of that going on. The other thing, possibly, historically, is that Cyrus, who is the empire or the emperor, may have established a governor over the city of Babylon. And actually, history does indicate that that's what Cyrus did. He did establish a governor who ruled over just the city of Babylon. His name, however, was not Darius, according to sources outside of the scripture. But, as I said before, it could have been another name for that same guy. Why do I tell you all of this? Well, one, in case you Wikipedia it and they tell you that Daniel should be thrown out the window because it's not historically accurate. So don't pay attention to that. But the second is this. Darius is in control of Daniel's life. We're going to stay there because that's what the scripture says. Darius is the ruler over Daniel's whole region and has control over Daniel's life. But where is Daniel at this point? Well, Daniel had been a high-ranking official in the Babylonian empire, remember, with Nebuchadnezzar and with Belshazzar. He was a high-ranking official in the Babylonian administration. When Darius took over, he recognized that Daniel was very valuable, and Daniel was willing to uh, help out Darius as well. So Darius appointed him to a very high position in his empire. Daniel, we know, was a man of prayer. It, It was evident in the very beginning, even as a young teenager, he put all of his trust in God and he prayed to God regularly all the time. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was as a teenager, and he is at this current state of his life as well. And I want you to know that by this point in time, by Daniel chapter 6, 
Daniel is uh, an older man. I, I hesitate to say that he's an old man because some of you might take offense to that because you're probably older than he actually was, but we'll put him at late 60s, early 70s, and you or your spouse can tell you if you are old, okay? So Daniel is an older man, late 60s, early 70s, and he is still a man of prayer, still a man of prayer. But some of Daniel's co-workers didn't like this very much, and they were looking to find fault in him and get him out of his powerful position. So here's what they do. It's the same sort of setup as happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. Some of Daniel's co-workers come to the king and they say to the king, Darius, hey Darius, we think that for 30 days you should make a law that no one can pray to anybody else, but they have to pray to you, O king. So Darius makes that law. He says, nobody can pray to any God except for me for 30 days. And if they pray to anybody else, they will be thrown into the lion's den. So Darius makes that law and his, Daniel's co-workers, they know exactly when and where Daniel prays, how often. So they go to uh, the store and they purchase some you know, secret uh, spy cameras to install in Daniel's apartment, and they put a GPS tracker on him, and they bug his cell phone, all right? So they've got all the tracking apps going, and they know exactly when Daniel's going to get to his apartment. And so he gets to his apartment, and like clockwork, Daniel bows down on his knees, looks out his window, and he's praying to God. And his co-workers think, we got him, we got the evidence. And they did. They brought it to the king, they, they told the king, look, Daniel was praying to his God and not to you. This was a bummer to the king, though. He, he liked Daniel, and Daniel was very valuable to him. But it was illegal for the king to ba- break his own law, and he actually, it, the king is not even allowed to revoke a law that he's made. The only way he can undo a law he's made is to make a law that goes over that law, saying that that law is no longer valid. But right now, this law is valid, and so Daniel must be thrown into the lion's den. But we get the sense that the king was not happy about this fact. After placing Daniel in the den, the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. I don't know if Darius knew what he was saying. I don't know if he knew about the power of Daniel's God. I don't know if he knew that he was making a true statement of faith about what Daniel's God can do. But God can deliver. And God can deliver even from certain death. So Daniel was placed in the den a stone was, was, was laid over the top of the den. There was no way out for Daniel. Certain death was inevitable to him by means of these ferocious lions. Daniel could not escape. He was at the mercy of his God to deliver him if it would be. Because only God can deliver from certain death. 
The king was troubled by this all night long in his own apartment. And, and that next morning, the king ran to the den with haste and he, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared down into that pit of death, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Darius wondered. He had been thinking about it all night. Is it possible? Is it possible that Daniel's God could deliver him from a den of death? And then Daniel cried out from that den of death and he said, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. The lions had not even scratched him. For an angel of God came and shut the lions' mouths. He delivered Daniel from certain death. The, the lions, it's like they were no longer ferocious animals. It's like they were little, little kitty cats or even more tame than that, like a, like a room of preschoolers. Look, I mean, look at this. Look at these kids. These are kids from our early learning center, our preschool here at church, getting in on the Daniel action. They made uh, Daniel lion faces. We've even got the angel in the back and, and Daniel here. Right. I mean, how innocent, right? Not ferocious animals, more like preschoolers. However, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, I don't know. I might rather be thrown into a den of lions than a room of preschoolers. That sounds kind of scary. Kudos to our early learning center staff. They do an awesome job right? When I was these kids' age, when I was a preschooler, uh, my favorite television show to watch was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Do we have any Mr. Rogers fans in the room? We got a, I believe we got a generation of Mr. Rogers fans. And uh, the, the people who are raising kids now actually have the ability to teach their kids about uh, Daniel, or about Mr. Rogers by means of a PBS reboot of, of uh, Mr. Rogers. You get to know his stuffed animal, Daniel Tiger, and Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. So PBS is like bringing Mr. Rogers back. But does anybody remember who was the, who was the mailman in Mr. Rogers or in Daniel Tiger? Anybody know? Mr. McFeely, right? Mr. McFeely, there he is. The, the real-life Mr. McFeely or in the cartoon Daniel Tiger, Mr. McFeely. And does anybody remember when Mr. McFeely brings a package? Remember what he says? Speedy delivery. Speedy delivery. Maybe I watched too much Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood and watched too much Mr. Rogers. But speedy delivery. I got thinking about these words as I heard Darius's plea. Whether he knew it was a statement of faith or not, but Daniel, may your God deliver you this night. Only God is capable of giving you a speedy delivery. Whatever you're going through in life, God will deliver you. I would say it like this. God will deliver to you, and God will deliver you too. God will deliver to you. And God will deliver you too. God will deliver to you all of his promises. God will deliver to you forgiveness. God will deliver to you 
hope. God will deliver to you peace. God will deliver to you joy. God will deliver to you life. Right where you are. Like that. And God will deliver you too. He will deliver you out of what you are dealing with. Ultimately, God will deliver you out of sin. God will deliver you out of the power of the devil. God will deliver you out of death and into life. God will do it. Now, I know, I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like God is providing a speedy delivery. I know sometimes when you're talking to God and say, God, deliver me from this. I know sometimes it feels like when you, you know, make a purchase on Amazon Prime for two-day shipping and it takes four days to get to you and you're like, what gives Amazon, right? Not, no, it's just me. All right, but I get impatient, right? If they say deliver, where's the delivery? Sometimes we get like that with God, man, a lot, right? Where's the delivery, God? You said you, said you would deliver. I tell you what, God is delivering to you. And he is delivering you too. Even if it seems like it's not going speedily, God is still with you. It's like you're in Mr. McFeely's delivery truck or in his mailbag. He's bringing you somewhere. God is delivering you and ultimately will deliver you out of the den of certain death and into eternal life. For only God can do that. This Wednesday, I invite you to join us for worship, either in person at noon or 5.30 or online at 5.30 for Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. And Ash Wednesday is the time where we take an honest look at our mortal reality. We will acknowledge the reality of our certain death. You see, death is the great equalizer for all people, for, for all of creation. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, from the city, from the boonies, an atheist or a Christian, all people will die. So what are you going to do about this thing called death? Either it is your end, or you believe that Jesus can deliver you from certain death and give you eternal, perfect life. You know, for Jesus, the grave could not hold him. Jesus, like Daniel, was placed into a den of sorts. His was called a tomb. And like Daniel, they sealed it with a stone. They thought certain death was upon Jesus. And unlike Daniel, Jesus actually died. And unlike Daniel, the lions in Jesus' life actually scratched him. They scourged him. They saw to his execution. They beat him. They bruised him. They belittled him but God delivered him from death. When the women who were following Jesus went to the tomb to check on him like that king, 
The, the women went to check on Jesus three days later, and guess what? The stone of certain death was rolled away. The tomb was empty, for Jesus was alive, defeating death, delivered from death, so that he can deliver you from certain death. It's in his grasp, it's in his ability, and it's his promise to you. I know that it feels like there are lions in this world pawing at you, seeking to devour you. It feels often like there are kings trying to get you, convince you to pray to them and to put your hope in them alone. You may even have coworkers or people in your life who would love to see you fall who would love to see you turn your eyes away from God and turn them to something else. Stop praying to God. It's pointless. I encourage you, be like Daniel. We've seen decades of Daniel's life, of him standing steadfast in the faith, even at the face of threats of death. Be like Daniel, steadfast in the faith, and God will give you a speedy delivery. He will deliver his promises to you, and he will deliver you to eternal life. Let's close today in a word of prayer. Would you please join me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, you have the authority to deliver us from death. For you defeated death. You rose from the dead. You are alive today. That's why, Jesus, you taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. So deliver us, Jesus. Deliver us from, from our sin. Deliver us from our temptations. Deliver us from the things that we, that we say wrong. Deliver us from the, the thoughts that we have in our minds that are not pure. Deliver us, Jesus. Deliver us into your loving care. Deliver your promises of peace and hope and joy and life to us. Deliver forgiveness to us. And ultimately, dear Jesus, we trust that you alone can deliver us from certain death and give us eternal life. Deliver us, Jesus. By your name and your power alone, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're